0: That's a great song to to go into our message with, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Today we are continuing in the book of James, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, and and I'll tell you, this is a passage that I really enjoy, I really love, and I forgot to do it this morning. I was going to bring... Um, my steel-toed boots and get them out of this portion of the sermon and tell you that uh, you may almost wish you had brought some because this passage, every time I interact with it, it will step all over your toes. Um, And that's mine included as I've been preparing for this. This passage is one that will call us out, call out the way we interact, call out the way that we follow God in our lives. So with that, hopefully I haven't scared you off yet, please Bear with me through this message, okay? It's going to be, I think, very important for all of us. Um, Let's go to the Lord in prayer after we read our passage. Um, James 1, 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. told you it was going to do that, right? Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and all the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the ability that we have to gather here, the ability we have to look at your word. We thank you that we have your word to see what you call us to do, see what you expect us to do, to see examples modeled for us of what to do and what not to do. God, I pray that today as we seek to apply your word to our life and to the world around us, I pray that you would be with us, you would transform our hearts, you would prepare us to be willing to listen to what you say, to be graceful in our interactions with one another and to be people who have a true religion, pure and undefiled. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we're looking at this idea of true religion, what does it mean to have true religion? And you've probably heard this idea through, through and I, I fully agree with it, especially the way that we talk about religion. Uh, it's, it's not a religion, it's a relationship, having a relationship with Christ. But true religion, true belief in God... Uh, has a relationship between us and God. And he's talking about pure and undefiled religion, this true religion. If you want to have a faith, a true faith that, is, that means something, this is what you need to do. This is important in your life. So the first thing we see is that if we want to have this true religion, this pure and undefiled faith, we need to control our interactions. Control our interactions. I told you this would step on our toes, and, and if it didn't, I don't think you heard it. We must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not produce God's righteousness. I don't know about you, but I feel like the majority of interactions, and oftentimes Christians find themselves in this as well, the majority of interactions in the world are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger. And that is what we see so often in the world. We must be quick to listen. This is the first thing he says. It's vital that we listen. Why is it so vital? It's through hearing and listening that we come to salvation. Romans ten seventeen says, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So if we don't listen, if we aren't a, a people that listen, that hear, how are we supposed to know the good news about what Jesus has done? Because faith comes from what is heard. We have to listen to hear the gospel. So faith comes from hearing. But what does it mean? to listen in our lives? What does it mean to listen to someone in our interactions? Consideration for what is being said. If we want to listen, if we want to hear, we need to consider what is being said. And I say that, and I I think that that is, it seems like that should be redundant and apparent, but oftentimes we simply wait our turn. Sometimes we don't even do that. Sometimes we interject in and cut people off and we are quick to speak, but we must be quick to listen. But that doesn't simply mean that you remain quiet, but you consider what is being said. This is the first thing in the process that we are called to do, to be quiet and to listen. Proverbs eighteen thirteen says this, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for him. When I was... In elementary school, we had something called uh, academic team, or quick, sometimes it's quick relay. And, and so what you do is you go and you compete and you have all these questions and you try to hit the buzzer before the other team so you can answer the question, kind of like Jeopardy or something like that. But you have the, the one rule you can do is you can buzz in at any time. And so what happened on occasion would be that someone would hear the first word of a question, they'd hit the buzzer. But do you know what happens when you hit the buzzer? They stop reading the question. If you aren't listening, if you aren't hearing, you have no idea what the other person is trying to convey. How can you give a thoughtful response if you have not heard what is being said? So the question we need to ask ourselves, are we hearing what is being said? as When we interact with believers in the world around, or with the world around us, because we're going to get to this, I don't think this is only talking about your interactions with other Christians. I don't think this is talking about only interacting with people you agree with. When you interact with people in the world, are you a person that is quick to listen? The vast majority of interpersonal problems that I've observed in my life, and I would say that many of them in general, come down to miscommunication. Sometimes there's malintent. Sometimes there's real malintent between people, and that causes these conflicts. But a lot of times it's miscommunication. This week, uh, this week when we got back from camp, uh, we went and picked up Eliza because she had been with family all week. And we met my mom at a restaurant. And the text that I got said, uh, we're parked under a sign. That's what I read. I didn't pay much attention to it. It said, we're, parked under this, we're, we're, it says we're under the sign. So I thought that meant, okay, they're parked, they're waiting, we're good to go. No. They were inside, seated under a sign. And they were, she was telling me which one. So we sat in the car for a few minutes waiting when they were already inside at the table. If we don't pay attention, we're going to miss what the other person is trying to convey So how can we avoid miscommunication? We communicate well, and in communicating well, you have to listen. With all the things happening in the world, we have strong opinions. This is when this gets hard. When you have a strong opinion about something, when you feel deeply, you feel convicted, the last thing you want to do is to listen to someone who's on the other side or has a different opinion than you. This is especially true when we think we have biblical opinions. When we think our opinion is biblical, we are not inclined to listen. I don't see an exception here when it talks about listening. We listen even when the person may have the worst possible point. You listen. Through listening, we're able to understand the heart of the people we're interacting with. And through listening, we are able to be informed about how best to interact with that person. Because we must be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I want to start with a few scriptures that express the same idea because the Bible is very clear about being slow to speak. Proverbs 29:20. 20, Do you see someone who speaks too soon? There is mo- more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 17:28: Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent discerning when he seals his lips. Proverbs 18, 2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. Proverbs 10, 19. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. Proverbs eleven twelve. Whoever shows contempt for his neighbor lacks sense, but a person with understanding keeps silent. We should be slow to speak. The Bible is clear about this, that, that we are quick to speak when we are shut shouting our opinion. We are quick, quickly rattling off our opinion. Guess what's sure to come? Sin. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. So we must listen to what's being said so that we communi- can communicate well. If we don't know what the other person's saying, we, we can't communicate well. We can't give a thoughtful response if we haven't listened to what they've said. Now, for the response, slow to speak. We've got to process that. Like I said, it's not just waiting your turn, thinking in your head the entire time of what your response is. Thoughtfully cons- considering what is being said. One of the worst temptations against being slow to speak is social media. I can't tell you how many articles that I've read where I saw of you know, some athlete or some famous person said this, and I go to the article and it says, in a sense deleted tweet. Do you know what that means? Someone was quick to speak and then realized what they said wasn't very smart, so they deleted it. But guess what? It's still there. We we always tell youth or kids, it's like words are like toothpaste. Like you squeeze it out, but you can't get it back in. We should be slow to speak. With social media or with just life in general, we are so able to easily voice our opinions immediately to lots of people with little little or perceived um, actual consequences. We must be slow to speak. So how should we talk with people? What should our conduct, how should our speech be? Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so, that you, may, so you, that you may know how you should answer each person. Titus 3, 2. To slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. We as Christians should remember the grace we've been given when we talk with people. We should be slow to speak. Do you know why we're slow to speak? Because God has been slow in the coming of his wrath. We remember that. That if we feel justified when we speak, remember that God is more justified if he had destroyed us. And so, because of the grace we've been given, we are slow to speak, even if we think that the person we're talking to is so far out of left field that it can't be any more clear. And then we see we must be slow to anger. Just like being slow to speak, the Bible has a lot to say about being angry. Proverbs 16 32. Patience is better than power, and controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. Proverbs 14 29. A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick tempered one promotes foolishness. Proverbs 19:11. A, a person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. Proverbs twenty-nine eleven. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow slow to anger calms strife. It is clear that what we should do in our life is to be slow to anger. We should do whatever we can to keep ourselves from being angry people that deal with others in anger. There's a difference, too, between... Having anger for something and expressing your anger toward people. And the one rebuttal I've always heard to this, this idea that we shouldn't be angry people or that we should be peaceful, patient people, which is very clear, I believe, in Scripture, is that while Jesus flipped tables, sometimes we need to get a little angry. Well, Jesus is the Son of God. And as we're going to see, the human anger does not produce God's righteousness. God is just in His wrath. We are sinful in ours. We We are not Jesus, and we cannot assume that we will be righteously angry, even though there are times when we know, when we have anger and frustration toward things that we know are not right. We cannot allow our interactions and the way we deal with people to be fueled by that anger, because do you know what that will produce? Sin. We must be gracious in our actions. That's why we have to be slow to speak, because when that anger is there, if we're quick to speak... The anger is quick to come. Even at all times, even when anger seems justified, we remember that we cannot be allowed, allow our anger to drive us to sin. Psalm 4.4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while on your bed and be silent. When anger is there, don't allow that anger to cause you to sin. This does not mean that we don't stand on truth. We must stand on truth, especially in a world that is so Confused About what the idea of truth even is We must stand on truth It does not mean that we ignore sin and evil It means that we respond In a Christ-like way And not in anger I had an illustration here That I was going to use About walking into a room And seeing your, your child or grandson Writing on your walls in crayon But this morning I got a phone call While I was at church Finishing some things up And Jada said Cole, I am freaking out I said, what's going on? She said, well, Barrett took the paint that we've been using and he poured it all over the carpet. And then, before I could do anything, the dog ran through the paint and it is all over the carpet. (laughs) So this fake illustration that I had became very real this morning. (laughs) And if you don't know, we have like extremely white carpet in our living room. And so there's black little paw prints all over the carpet. Uh, So I'm going to go rent a rug doctor today and we'll see what happens. But... So here's the deal, dealing with that situation does not mean that you don't say bear it, you do not pour the paint on the ground, this is not okay. You should do that, you should discipline your, ch- your kids, you should speak truth into a situation where there was chaos, but it does mean that you don't cast them out of your home and not let them come back in. That is responding in anger and it is unjust and, and not right. So in your anger, do not sin. When there is something wrong, you need to call and stand on truth and, and to have those interactions, but not from anger. We cannot let our anger to drive us to sin because human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. As Christians, we are seeking to produce and live lives that embody and show the righteousness of God to the world. But if we are living and interacting in human anger, guess what's not present? God's righteousness. No matter how justified we may feel, we need to make sure that we do not become consumed with anger because this anger does not accomplish God's right, righteousness. We might think that we will only get things, angry at things that God would get angry at. Again, the whole Jesus flip tables, when I see something wrong, I should be able to get angry like Jesus did. Do you know how, uh, we actually heard it this week, there, there's a statement that people make where Baptist churches multiply by division you ever heard that? The idea that there's so many Baptist churches, many of whom are in existence because of a church split. That's unfortunate. But do you know the reality? In many of those church splits, both sides felt that they were righteously indignant because God was on their side. Do you know what I'll tell you? God takes no joy in the fracturing of the body of Christ. And so both people, in their human anger, feeling justified, did not produce the righteousness of Christ. Now, the wonderful thing that we can sit here today and know is that even through churches like that, God can work beautiful things out of a mess, beautiful things out of things that were once shameful. God still can work and use broken people. Amen to that because we wouldn't be here today. There would be no good things that happen because we're all broken. Even in situations where we are confident in our position, we must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This week, uh, something happened in our country that has caused a lot of division and a lot of anger that I've seen from a lot of people. Roe versus Wade was overturned. And as a Christian, as a person that values the sanctity of life, I feel very confident there is nothing, there's there's perhaps nothing that's not explicitly talked about in Scripture that I feel is confident in, is that God does not take joy in the ending of an unborn life. I don't think God likes that. So I feel very confident in that. But do you know what this passage tells me? That when I interact with a person who disagrees with me, I still must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So what we're going to do for a moment, and you, you will see by the end of this sermon, please. and if you're a person that disagrees with what I just said, or if you're listening and you disagree, please listen to the whole sermon. Because this sermon could not have been more better timed with this passage than I think it any, any possibly could have been. And it could be anything, not just this issue. But how would, would I, or you, if you would agree with me, that you think that it is a good thing that, that Roe versus Wade has been overturned? How do we interact with a person that disagrees with us? How are we supposed to do this? We're supposed to be slow to look. But more often in this situation, and I've seen it, you almost don't want to get on Facebook You see people that are slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to anger. I've seen many posts, if you feel this way, unadd me, unfriend me, we're not friends anymore. What is that? Anger. It's not producing the righteousness of God. We cannot allow ourselves as Christians to interact that way. So how do we do it? Quick to listen. If someone disagrees with us, we need to listen to them. Why do they feel the way they feel? Why do they feel the way they feel? And in the years, many years, I've talked to people that hold different positions, I've heard many different answers. I've heard that there are people who are opposed to abortion that would never get one, but they don't want to tell others what to do. That's an answer I've heard. There are people who are opposed to abortion, except in the most extreme of circumstances, where something really bad happened to the person involved. Then there are people who are only alright with abortion to a certain point in pregnancy. And then there are people who think this should be available for people who need them to make a hard decision on what's best for them in their life. And then there are people who view it as an acceptable form of birth control at any point. They don't really care. So here's the reason we need to listen. Because when you talk to somebody or you hear somebody express an opinion, which one are they? What do they think? If you hear them say, I was sad about that, why were they sad? What do they actually think? Because if you don't listen to what they're saying, how are you going to respond to them? If you respond to a person that is, is, is on one end of the spectrum and they're not really that okay with it, but they, they're just a little confused, like they're a person that is actively promoting it and wishes it was available all the time no matter what, you're probably going to burn some bridges in that conversation. You're not going to respond appropriately. So you must be quick to listen. How will you know what to say if you don't know what they are saying? Slow to speak. If we're quick to speak, that means we haven't had time to listen. To give a thoughtful and compassionate response, to respond as Christ would call us to, we must listen to what they've said, process it in a way to be thoughtful and compassionate. This does not happen quickly. We should ask questions. We should be sure to understand what they think, not assume, make assumptions. We We should speak the truth lovingly and compassionately when we do speak. We should be slow to anger. Things like this, if you feel strongly about it, it's easy to get angry about it. Not necessarily at the person, but because of the nature of the topic. But if we allow the anger to come out of the person, we know that human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. While we may have an opinion that is aligned with God's, and we believe that, we must remember our ultimate goal. And this is what we can't miss here. Telling people the gospel so they might be saved from the coming wrath. Right? Go make disciples. This is your task. We've been given. So if we're interacting with a person and they say, you know what, I was really upset that Roe v. Wade got overturned. If our answer is to respond to them in anger, we have missed what we are supposed to be doing when we talk with that person. If they're lost and they die without Christ, they will go to hell. And the reason is not simply because they were in favor of abortion. The reason is they are a sinner that needs Christ. And if we allow our anger over their one opinion to prevent us from sharing the gospel with them, the hope that is found, the transforming power of Christ's love, we have missed our purpose in interacting with people. Because human anger does not produce God's righteousness. If we're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and we're compassionate and show love and we introduce them to Christ and they repent and believe... That is the righteousness of God. So we must be slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And if we're dealing with a Christian who has a different view than we do, as I said, there's many churches that have split and they both felt right, so this is obviously something that happens. Maybe it's about this issue or something completely different entirely. We should remember Paul's advice to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 5. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. We have to disciple and teach people the truth. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. I've heard it said you can find any person with a PhD to tell you what you want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Must stand firm, but be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We must correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And we must believe what Paul said in Philippians 3.15. Therefore, let all who are mature think this way. But if, And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. We trust that the same God that convicts and leads to salvation is the same God that convicts and leads to sanctification and the correct view of following Him. When you're confident about a biblical truth, we teach, correct, rebuke, but we must trust that God who revealed to us our need for salvation will reveal to them their error. This is the first, two, first couple of verses. Okay? In all of this understanding about how we're to have Christ-like interactions, James goes on to give an admonition, an admonition to the believers that we must purify ourselves. Therefore, we are to rid ourselves of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. Because of all the anger, because of all the opposite of doing this, being quick to, uh, slow to listen, quick to speak, quick to anger, we have to rid ourselves of moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. What does this mean? We need to actually repent. When we see in the Bible, when it talks about following Jesus, when, when Peter preached on Pentecost, he told him, the man you killed was the Christ, the Messiah. He says they were cut to the heart. What must we do to be saved? Repent and believe. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance means you understand what you were doing wrong and you go the other way. When we understand our sin, which is why Christ died, why Christ had to come, the, the thing that separates us, as Christians, we repent, it means we turn the other way. So this is the idea, purify yourself from all moral filth and evil. We must turn away from these things. We can't allow them to be in our life. It doesn't mean that you have to earn or keep your salvation, not in the slightest. But if you're taking the name of Christ and, and bearing his righteousness to the world, you should try to live a life that demonstrates that to the world. It's the idea we see in Ephesians 2, 1 through through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as others were also. We can no longer walk as we once did. I used to be going this way. I once was blind. Now I see. You can't go live like you're blind anymore. Walk in repentance. And what is the goal, the resulting goal of this ridding of moral filth and evil? To become like Christ. And there are two ways, I think, in this that we submit ourselves to be like Christ in this. The first is we submit our values and ideas to him. We allow them to be conformed to him rather than the world. Romans twelve two. Do not be conformed to this age. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We must align our worldview, the way we live and interact with everything around us, with what God wants for us, rather than what we desire, what we want. The second thing we see is that we must submit our actions to Him. If we have a biblical worldview, but we are constantly expressing those ways those ways. In a worldly, those views in a worldly way, we will not produce the righteousness of God. That's why we must cleanse ourselves of this moral lever, so that when we have the views of God, we express them in a way that honors Christ. We must be Christ-like in our actions. Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So he says, you must humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Your souls. This is the gospel. This is understanding our sinful condition that because of what we have done, we are separated from God. Realizing that all of Scripture, everything that God has been doing in humanity is pointing to and glorifying Christ and the work that He does so that we might be saved. And we believe it. We believe it and we are saved because of what Christ has done for us. And just like on your wedding day, That is the beginning of your relationship. It is the beginning of your relationship together, your life together. Not the end of it. It's not the goal. The goal of dating is to figure out if you're going to marry a person. But once you get married, you are starting your life together. When you get saved, that's not the end of your relationship with God. It's not, oh, now things are good. No, it's the start of your walk with God for the rest of your life. This is the beginning of your walk with the Lord. And so James continues to admonish the Christians and and admonish us today what it means to follow. We must be doers. And I'll read to you those verses, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror for he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently in the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. This is a very simple passage. Very simple. I had this conversation with Eliza yesterday. She didn't listen to me. I said, well, what did I say to do? You told me to put the water down. What did you do? I sprayed you with the water. <laughs> she heard what I said. Did she do it? No. He says, if, if you are a hearer only and, a do, and not a doer of the word, you're like a person that looks in the mirror, walks away and forgets what you look like. It'd be like if I walked in the mirror, looked at myself, said, you know, I'm 6'2", got a clean shaven face, dark hair, dark complexion. That's what I look like. That's not true. I expected more laughs, especially from Dennis. But <laughs> how silly would, would that be to completely forget what you look like? That's what he's trying to convey to you here. If you hear what God calls you to do and you don't do it, That is about the silliest thing you can do. If you've heard the good news of what Jesus has done for you, you believe that you claim to be building your life upon this, but you don't do anything he tells you to do. It's foolishness. This is why when we talk, and when I talk particularly with kids about this, and with anybody, you're making Christ your Savior and your Lord. Savior means he saves you from your sins, but Lord means he is now in charge. He is the boss. He calls us what to do, and we obey him. We lay down what we think, and when we hear him call, we say, Yes, Lord. Whatever you call me to do, I will do. I think it is a failure to do this, a failure to be doers. Like like I said, it's very simple, but it's hard. People don't do it. I think the, the failure of the church to be doers, by and large, across the board, in the world when we fail to be doers it gives people ammunition and reason for their rebellion their continued rebellion against God now let me be clear about that people don't need a reason to be angry with God or not to follow him they are sinners in their sin they are lost they are by definition at war with God they don't want God until the spirit moves in their life and they see the goodness of what he's done for them but they 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 don't need a reason to be angry with God However, when Christians do not obey Christ, we cast mud on the name of Christ and give them reasoning behind why they feel the way they feel. When you, have, and when you have a bumper sticker on your car that says New Bethel Baptist Church or Jesus is my co-pilot or whatever, which he should be the pilot. Let's just make that clear. But anything like that, and you cut people off and Maybe you wave at them, but not with all of your hand. You are casting mud on the name of Christ. And that person, if they are lost, they'll be like, I will never. Why would I ever? I'm a better person than that person is. Because you're a hearer in that moment and not a doer. Patient, slow to anger. There's that one. You may have heard this quote before, but Gandhi, who many people revere is a a thoughtful leader of of peacefulness. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Our goal should never be for someone to be able to say that about us. That we do what Christ calls us to do. We look like the Christ we follow. When through disobedience, we cast shame on the name of Christ. We're doing the very opposite thing of what Christ calls us to do. Matthew 5, 15-16 no one lights a lamp and pl- puts it under a basket. Again, the Bible is so clear. How silly would that be? I'm going to light my lamp, put a basket over it. Well, what did you do that for? Now you can't see anything. You defeated the purpose. Well, if, if I'm, I'm going to hear what it says but not do it. Why would you do that? Instead, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So when you are a doer of the word, when you obey Christ and you go and you live differently and people see that you live and you love and you do things the way Christ calls you to, they see your good works and what happens? They glorify your father that is in heaven. When we become doers, we we promote the name of Christ in the world. When we don't, when we're hearers only, we put mud on the name of Christ. We are called to follow faithfully, to be obedient, to be a light shining in this world, distinct and different, proclaiming the love, goodness, and mercy of God through our lives. James goes on to kind of tie all this up and wrap it up together in one passage, what it looks like to be obedient to what God calls us to do. We must show compassion. So what is God calling us to do? There's a lot of things, but one of those things is to show compassion. In verse 26, he reaffirms what he said in verses 19 19- through 20. If anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. If you cannot tame your tongue, if you spout off at the mouth, you are not living a life that is living a faith that is honoring Christ. And James is a little bit more harsh than what I just said. He says his religion is useless and he deceives himself. We must be careful to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. He's, he's re- tying back into that. But he goes on to say this pure and undefiled religion is this look after orphans and widows in their distress, keeping one safe, keeping oneself unstained from the world. So what are we just supposed to do? Care for people who are hurting. Care for people who are hurting, who have distress in their life and live pure lives. That's repentance, right? Repent and do what you're called to do. Care for people that are in distress. This is where I have hoped you've stuck with me if you disagree with what I was saying earlier because at the beginning of this sermon we we talked about how we should interact with someone if you are glad that Roe versus Wade have been overturned. You see that as a win for the sanctity of life which it absolutely is. But now we get to the part where we look at what our responsibility as Christians is in light of this. We cannot allow the accusation of being pro-birth but not actually pro-life to be true because people say that. You've heard a lot of people, and if you've been on Facebook at all, you've seen that. You're not really pro-life, you're just pro-birth. You don't care for the mother, you don't care for the child, the foster system's overrun. You don't care. The sad thing is, is there may be times, there may be people for who that is true. They speak what is true, but they don't do anything about it. They don't add add that to their life, they don't follow. Which, to be fair, and I want to clarify, in case you are not aware of it, but Christians are very active... In doing many things to care for mothers and, and people that are in need. So that, that is not all outright true. But there are people, and we must fight the temptation to be a person that will claim something but not live it out in our lives, not be a doer that believes what we believe. So what does this look like? Several years ago, uh, David Platt, a pastor, and he was in Birmingham, Alabama. He was previously um, at the IMB president, but this was before he was that, and he was at his church. And he said, one day I called up the Department of Human Resources in Shelby County, Alabama, where our church is located, and I asked, how many families would you need in order to take care of all the foster and adoption needs that we have in our country? The woman I was talking to laughed. I said, no, really, if a miracle were to take place, how many families would be sufficient to cover all the different needs you have? She replied, it would be a miracle if we had 150 more families. 150 more families, okay? When I shared this conversation with our church, over 160 families signed up to, be, to help with foster care and adoption. We don't want even one child in our country to be without a loving home. It's not the way of the American dream. It doesn't add to our comfort, prosperity, or ease, but we are discovering the indescribable joy of sacrificial love for others. And along the way, we are learning more about the inexpressible wonder of God's sacrificial love for us. This is what it means to have a true religion, true faith, that when there is hurt and when there is need, and and one thing that this means in this country is there will be many people who will have need. There will be more children that will live, praise God, but they may end up in the foster system. They may need to be adopted. They may, to, may need to be loved. There will be more single parents, single mothers, single fathers raising a child. This is where the body of Christ must step up and care for widows and orphans and single parents. Whoever it may be in their distress. This is what it means to follow God. Isn't that wonderful to hear the story of a church that cleared the foster system rolls in their county. And I think I've heard before, in our nation, there are more than enough Christian families to do this in our time, to care for those who don't have homes. So as we sit here today, as we reflect on our lives, as we come to this time of invitation where I'm inviting you to deal with what God's word says, How does your life look in regard to the passage we've just read? How well do you communicate in regard to following Christ? Are you quick to listen? Or do you speak before the other person has finished what they're saying? Are you quick to listen? Or have you just been quiet until it's your turn? Are you hearing what's being said? Even if you disagree. Are you slow to speak? Are you considering the best way to respond in a Christ-honoring way? Are you saying the first thing that comes to your mind? Are you slow to anger or, do you, or is your interactions with others marked by the anger you feel? Do you feel justified in your anger? You're supposed to be slow to anger. Have you sought to purify yourself from all moral filth and evil? Have you actually repented and followed the ways you once walked, the ways that Christ saved you from? Are they the ways you once walked in or the ways you currently walk in? Are you a doer of the word, doing what Christ calls you to do, or a hearer only? Are you actively living out your faith, showing compassion to those who are in distress, or are you more concerned with your own comfort, your own desires, your own well being? Because, like you said, it, it's not, it doesn't make sense to do these things. It's going to take our time, it's going to take our money, it's going to take our energy. But when we follow God and we sacrifice, because what greater sacrifice is there than the God who created us, laying down his life for us? Are you sacrificing to live out your faith for others? To show them the goodness of God? To show them that, a God, that God loves them, the God who created them loves them and died to save them? Is that how you are living your life today? In a few moments, Becky's going to come and we're going to sing. And and during this time, I want to challenge you to reflect on your life in these ways. How do you need to be more obedient to Christ today? How can you be more obedient in following him this morning? The altar is open if you would like to come and pray. I will be down front if you would like to pray or to talk about what it means to follow Christ because that is the most important thing you can do is to have a relationship with him. There is no true religion, pure and undefiled religion, without having a relationship with Christ. Being saved from your sin. Let's stand as we pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us, this day that we come together, that we are able to just look at your word to praise you. And God, I pray that we would be people that would listen to what we've seen in your word today. That we would be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We would rid ourselves of moral filth and evil. That we would be people who do what you call us to do. That we would show compassion to those in need. And that when people look at our lives and they look at our church, they would say God is among them. Please move within us this morning, Lord, and and don't let anything hold us back from responding to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.